0: Hello and welcome to Data Today, brought to you by Zulka. I'm your host, Dan Klein, and I look after everything data and AI at Zulka. We're living in a world of opportunities, but to fully realize them, we have to reshape the way we innovate. We need to stop siloing data, ring-fencing knowledge, and looking at traditional value chains. And that's what this podcast is about. We're taking a look at data outside the box to see how amazing individuals from disparate fields and industries are transforming the way they work with data, the challenges they are overcoming, and what we can all learn from them. Everything we do in the modern world creates data. We are all connected in some way. Every part of us is a node in the great internet of humans all generating data and insight, and all making decisions independently, which can have interactions we can't imagine elsewhere. It can all seem very um, chaotic. In fact, it's a beautiful but very hard to follow dance. And somewhere, to someone, that data and the insight we can generate from it has value. The question is, how can we make sure that the humans always see a net positive benefit from the data they create, rather than becoming a victim of it? That's the ethical question that plagues today's guest, Anne Thielen, Program Manager, Health Technologies at Sonova Group, a Swiss medical equipment manufacturer specialising in hearing aids. So Anne, tell me, you you obviously work for Sonova and you're very keen on the ethics and the use of data. By inference, if you like, one would assume that Sonova for you is a a good company ethically to work with. How do you maintain that ethical stance within a company, given the corporate pressures that somebody like Sonova is almost certainly going to be under?
1: Generally, I would say that threat is something that we all have, but... Me and my role, I think it's my job to make sure that we don't go down this path where I have a few crucial advantages, right? Which is that I come from technology, I do understand how it works. And I also have a voice and I raise that voice in order to make sure that, you know, we take the steps that are necessary in order to go an ethical way with the data. You know, also using the advantage that a lot of the people in positions that make decisions not necessarily come from a software background, or from a technical background, or have been doing so like many years ago. So they also have to rely on people like me knowing still the insights, the details. And so I use that position that I can recommend steps and really highlight them to them to make sure that we go down this path.
0: So do you have a definition of what good use of data looks like and what bad use of data looks like?
1: I think it's about being transparent about what you do or what you intend to do with the data. It's not so much about what specifically you can do with it because there are always two sides, right? You can use profiling of clients for lots of different reasons, for really good ones in a moral sense versus really bad one in a moral sense. But in the end, it's about making this very transparent about what you're going to do and making that also transparent in the company, going away even internally from making decisions behind closed doors, no documentation, no minutes of important meetings where things have been discussed. So really bringing that transparency not only from the client, from the end user or from the recipients of the data, but also within the company that people are aware of what they're working on and what they're working towards. And then, you know, if there might be something, you know, in a basic moral sense unethical, then everybody has the opportunity to raise their voice. And I think this is the most important thing that we can act on if we see, if we can identify something that is not going in the direction that we would stand behind and say, this is morally and ethically for me okay.
0: That premise leads me to then ask the question around governance, because if you have people able to say hang on a sec this might be ethically problematic morally problematic there does need to be a route by which you can then affect that change so is that private citizens and calling it out on twitter or is that expecting the courts and the legal system to deal with it is that suitably set up do you think for where we are today
1: No, I think it's not suitably set up. And I think it's not only private people in courts or something, but it's also society as a general body with all the experts that we have in, with the universities and all these academic research institutions, a lot of general dependent or independent institutions where if you make it transparent and you speak about it in public, on congresses, things like that, everybody has a choice to highlight it. Because this is really mean, letting it all go back to the normal person right to say like oh the end user they have the right to speak up and then putting that responsibility onto them where they're not subject matter experts this is a good way but also if subject matter experts are uh, part of the discussion are part of the initial discussion or even being part of the you know continued discussion then you raise a system or you create a system where people can speak up and you rely on not only a very, let's say, weak, from a subject matter perspective, point of view, population part, but you also rely on the ones that are equal to you, the ones that actually have a voice and have the understanding to raise concerns.
0: So within the medical industry then, where are your biggest concerns at the moment in the use of data and technology?
1: My biggest concern is probably, are we fast enough to compete with all the non-medical companies? Because we are moving in a highly regulated space, which is there for very many good reasons. Whereas companies that are not providing per definition medical features or medical functions, but are really at the borderline, they are not regulated. They are really acting in a completely different field with very little attention to uh, the products that they provide and the safety of those products.
0: In terms of what Sonova does now, Sonova is into hearing products. What sorts of challenges you have within your products themselves in terms of how you, how you put them out into society and the data that you take from your products?
1: In general, a medical product has a very strong purpose, right? In our case, it's to compensate a hearing loss or to help with a hearing impairment. So, there is this main functionality, the main focus that our products have. They're highly integrated systems at the edge of technology. So, everything we do, we do to support that purpose. So, now when you talk about creating data points that we also want to save and that we want to have a look into and analyze and so on, that is an additional purpose to those devices. And just with our specific purpose that we have, that puts a lot of challenge on the system. So just to create this additional purpose brings us technically to a big challenge.
0: Do you feel the legislative guidance for organizations in this space is strong enough at the moment? Because as you say, you're you're at the cutting edge of this stuff and typically the legislative environment tends to lag where the technology is. So are there holes in the legislative framework that potentially need to be filled here?
1: I would absolutely agree to that. And this is, again, going back to our initial conversation, right? This is why people with the knowledge, they have to go into the lead. They have to request it from the organization to actually build that system because it's largely not there or If it's there, then it's, you know, really on a very high level, not figured out in the details on really how to act and how to move forward and what to put in place and what not. So, for sure, but again, it's also a big opportunity, right? It's for us also really interesting to be part of that economy of the medtech industry to put down or to enforce or at least ask for these um, guidance by ourselves and to to co-create them, essentially.
0: Using data for good can be tricky. I've had a few instances in my career where I've had to really weigh up the benefits of accessing or sharing data against the risks that this might pose. In the UK, we have case law, which looks at proportionality. We widely accept that there's an upside and downsides to innovation and try to examine how they balance. If it was proportionally likely that somebody would do something bad, I wouldn't do it. If I thought the risk was less than the opportunity, I'd do it. That's my trade-off, and I've applied it in many sectors in my career. At what point do you say, we're not doing this? There's a debate to be had there. Anne has always been a technologist, but her transition to Sonova brought her up close and personal with the human side of technology.
1: Initially, I have a background in, in MEMS and so microelectrical uh, mechanical systems, really sensors and actuators, um, so which gives you a very holistic view on how to build and use and process data and, and and MEMS that would raise these data points. So yeah, I went to MIT, looked into how electronic circuits are built in cells, and if there is a possibility to, um, to build very similar circuits, so inspired by nature into electronic design, which would, again, help us to build much more efficient circuits, especially on the nanoscale, and this is how I ended up in Switzerland, because then I, uh, once um, I finalized the project at MIT, I was like, oh yeah, now I want to look into the nanoscale, not only on the scale. So I ended up in Switzerland, where I pursued it, PhD in the, you know, looking into the nanoskids, really how it works and how it doesn't work, looking into how electrons move to computer chips when they reach the edge of scaling, meaning when classic transport is, um, you know, outdated and quantum mechanics kicks in. And, uh, yeah, to in a nutshell, so far... We still use classical transport. There has been, it's, it's really difficult to make um, quantum mechanical transport to computer chips work. Um, so we always try to avoid it, even though the chips are scaling down more and more. I wanted to actually stay in the um, solid state physics industry and really go further there. And then I was invited by a company called Sonova. And I was <laughs> really surprised. I had no touch point with them whatsoever, but I got here and it's an outstanding company when it comes to the people. It was a very open and friendly environment and I was so intrigued by that that I ditched. <laughs> but I also discovered something that I've never seen before and that is the human as a hardcore technologist and engineer, I was always looking into machines, into devices. And here in this company I discovered that there is a human behind. It's quite interesting to understand how you bring technology in the day-to-day life of our clients and to our patients and apply that technology to that it's becoming useful to them. And that really opened up a new horizon for me.
0: Isn't that interesting? Because that's where the moral debate is in some senses, is that Actually, what matters in technology is not the technology, but how humans interact with it. And I think crucially, something you said is about whether humans can be bothered to understand how they're interacting with it. For me, there's a moral question, not just in terms of what we do with the technology as technologists, but there's a wider societal question around people paying attention to it.
1: Absolutely agree. And I think this is also where a lot of people try to circumvent, right? Even companies they where they claim, oh, we're just doing the components or we're just doing some parts of the machine. In the end, there's just one company that actually builds this user interface in the application. And then this company or these people, they have then to go through all this big debate about how it's used and where it's applied and is it applied in the right way? And do we educate people enough? Should we even educate them about that? Look at our school system is lagging behind a hundred years still educating like the basics in languages and history, hardly having any interface to technology, whereas it's nowadays in all of our pockets are supercomputers, if you want to say it like this, right? And still ask the kids nowadays, how does a touchscreen work? They're not interested, they're only interested how they use TikTok with it. So what's our agreement then? That education is the only way forward, both to the younger and the older generation?
0: Yes, I violently agree with you on that. I think the crucial thing here is that we have to not assume that we should be educating the young, but actually assume the education should be both ways that the young have to educate the elder generation. The elder generation, they then potentially might want to suggest, well, there's some things you might want to learn about here. Some of the history tells us that we may not want a government as a bad actor because they may want to look at us for bad reasons or, you know, technology companies in a country we're not particularly happy with may want to look at us for particularly bad reasons. I think we should definitely agree there's a, an onus on education both ways and transparency.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, I think so too.
0: With transparency comes some difficult conversations. People will need to be held accountable and policy changed. On the other hand, does the general public have time to be educated on the origins, quality, and use of their data? Do the different generations, everyone from baby boomers to Gen Z, have the capacity and will to understand what's at stake? The younger generation may be more data savvy in some ways, but many of them will have had embarrassing moments through social media oversharing that my generation never had, even though My generation doesn't suffer the same tech fears, say, of the baby boomers. My hope is that we'll have a group of young people who will, through trial and error, be much more data conscious online. Do good data ethics demand that we track the origin of data? We live in a time of fake news and with stories being warped from their origin. Can education and transparency in data help combat this? This all boils down to having difficult conversations. So, what do we need to hear?
1: If you are able to trace back where it comes from and where it's described and what is the, the pathway of the data, then you can be, maybe not absolutely, but more sure of that the origin is, you know, is what it is supposed to be and the story is what it's supposed to be and the, the storyline has actually some, some actual value to it.
0: Let's pick a medical example here then we have a situation where mobile phones and wearables let's say are able to collect information about people but i think most of the population would be aware that the quality of that collected data is not going to be as good as you being connected up to a monitor in a hospital do you think that's a fair assumption or do you think people assume that actually that replaces the hospital
1: I think it's not a fair assumption because the variable the or the phone or whatever it is has a big advantage. It sits with you the whole time permanently on a day-to-day basis. And so even though the quality of data might be lesser than what you expect from a medical device in a hospital, the sheer quantity and the ability to then clean out that data gives you so much more freedom and so much more possibilities to identify, you know, a condition or, uh, you know, some other health issues, it is, in the end, I would say, superior over the Medicaid device because it's always stationary and it never catches you in a real-world environment.
0: You're seeing the real patient rather than a patient sitting stationary or lying stationary in a hospital bed, absolutely. You've talked on some of your blogs, some of your posts about the Internet of Humans, which I love as an idea, love it as a concept, and I'm just... If we talk about the internet of humans and we connect humans as opposed to just devices, does that therefore immediately assume we have to be really clear about the resilience of the technology that's connecting humans?
1: There's always this conceptual thinking about it would be good to, let's say, understand everything and and explain everything beforehand, right? But in the end, we also have the fact that, if you're the architect of a new playground for kids, you can only guess what the kids are playing there. And yes, you can apply UX and, you know, test it with some kids and some paper, um, you know, installations of what kind of games they're going to play in there. And is the shadow the right place? In the end, there's always a part where you just go into the open and you have to do the real real-world experiment and to try out what will come out because you cannot foresee all the outcomes. You can test a lot, but not everything. There is a dynamic to itself that you could never have imagined, I think, on every playground that you build. And we are building a new playground here.
0: Historically, we would have had a playground. We've had kids play in it. And as you say, you don't remember what the kids did in the playground. You have no concept of what they've done. You have no record of it. And actually, when we come to the Internet of Humans it's almost more invasive than somebody videoing a playground. And videoing a playground is clearly not something that is done these days for very obvious reasons. But when we talk about the Internet of Humans, we're recording every digital interaction that humans are having continuously. So the child's playground is no longer safe, question mark. Is that the ethical debate we're having today?
1: I think it's on us to, to make it a safe place. But at the same time, we also must admit to ourselves and be humbled by the knowledge that we also do not fully understand and know everything. We try, and for sure, this is the best thing possible, but there will be, you know, damage on the way. Of course, we can sit here and say, oh, of course, everything is planned out. We sit down as long as it takes to figure everything out. We will not figure everything out. We have to accept that there will be some damage done on the way which is okay in a sense that if you have put in a lot of effort and, and make it as transparent as possible and educate as much as possible that you minimize that damage but there will for sure be some damage this is what happens with new playgrounds with new inventions with new technology that we have not seen before but it's really about being as transparent and open as possible because then you can collect as much feedback and hopefully like I said minimize
0: So how do we ensure as a society that the human is always at the core and therefore ethics of how that technology is used is always there to satisfy societal needs?
1: We, of course, promote... The debate and the discussion about it, that's the only thing that we can actively do, that we go out like we do now then and go into the conversation and raise all these points to be discussed openly instead of hiding them and putting them under a blanket, but go out and and have the opportunity and share it with others like we do, to allow to give them feedback and allow to listen, even though sometimes it's not so pleasant to get that feedback, but to have that resilience also to listen to all of these different angles and concerns.
0: At the end of the day, we're always going to get some things wrong. We're only humans, after all. Anne's approach to data ethics is one of radical transparency. One that owns up to mistakes and failings and allows the public and institutions access to the origins of the data they're exposed to. Worrying about the unregulated nature of the medical space is legitimate. Can legislation and government fill the gaps? One thing's for sure, we all want the playground to be safe. Business ecosystems are not new. What is new is that they are becoming increasingly data empowered. To realize complex opportunities, we need innovation beyond boundaries, democratized information, and close collaboration between diverse players. Collaborative, data empowered, borderless innovation is how we embrace a world of exponential change. And that's what this podcast is about. Thanks for listening to Data Today, brought to you by Zorka. I've been your host, Dan Klein. For more information on Zorka's work, please visit our website.